Welcome to the Antioch Sheffield podcast. We are so glad that you can join us for today's message, which is brought to you by Pastor Todd Roberts. For more information about Antioch Sheffield, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk. Well, hey, today we are continuing in our Disciple series, which is a series about uh, becoming a disciple of Jesus, um, what that means. And the basic idea of this series is that being a disciple of Jesus means organizing or ordering our lives around three goals or values, and they're these, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus, and doing what Jesus did. Now, we've been working through these one at a time, and last week we talked about becoming like Jesus, which is, uh, you know, and how you're As we spend time with Jesus, Jesus begins to rub off on us, and we begin to become like him. Our character begins to be transformed. We get set free from the sins that hinder us and entangle us, and we begin to take on the mindset and the the character and the nature of Jesus. And today, we're going to zero in on that last value there, doing what Jesus did. And if you think about it, doing what Jesus did is the natural result of being a disciple of Jesus. And throughout the series, we've been comparing uh, discipleship to apprenticeship. That's actually the closest thing that we have in kind of modern society, I think, to discipleship that most of us know what we're talking about. And so, you know, if you think about what an apprentice does, if you're uh, apprenticing as a plumber, what do you do? You go spend time with a master licensed plumber and you, you uh, work with him for years on end, learning all the tricks of the trade so that eventually you can become a plumber yourself. And the goal of apprenticing isn't just to know a lot about plumbing. The goal of apprenticing is to eventually be able to plumb a house or a building all by yourself. And so in the same way as followers of Jesus, our goal isn't just to know a lot about Jesus or just to become like him, but to eventually be able to do the things that Jesus did. But the question that maybe you're asking, especially if you're new today, is, is uh, you know, what, what, what does that phrase mean? Because if you take it literally, it's kind of a problematic phrase, because doing what Jesus did uh, is not necessarily possible for most of us, because if you think about it, Jesus was a single, homeless, itinerant Jewish rabbi. And there's not too many of us here this morning that I think fit into all of those categories, But if we do, if we do have a single homeless itinerant Jewish rabbi here in the service or watching online, I would love to speak to you after the service. But I I think for most of us, we don't really fit in that category. So, So what do we mean by doing the same things that Jesus did? I think the best way that I can say it just quite simply would be doing what Jesus would do if he were in our place. Doing what Jesus would do if he were in my place. It's the same idea as those WWJD bracelets that we wore in the 90s. Anybody remember those? Yeah, a good number of you. Anybody wear the WWJD bracelets? A few of you did, yeah? I, I, I liked the bracelets, but you know those like rubberized wristbands? I just could never get into those. They make my wrist, my wrist itch and sweat, and so I never actually wore it, but it's not because I disagreed with the, uh, the premise behind that, and it's actually the same premise that we're talking about this morning because... because Doing what Jesus would do means doing what Jesus would do if he were in our place. So, so what would Jesus do if he 
if he was our gender, or if he was our ethnicity, or if he was our age? What would Jesus do if he was in our stage of life? Or if, what would Jesus do with our, if he had our education or lack of education, or our experience or lack of experience, or our home, or our profession, or our skills and gifts and talents? What would Jesus do if he were in our place? That's what we want to explore a little bit today. But in order to understand what Jesus would do if he were in our place, you know, it's, the natural thing to do is look at the Gospels and see what Jesus did, and then say, well, how can I do that in my life? And that's not a bad thing to do, but I think we need to take a step further than that, because it's not always easy to translate what Jesus did in first century Israel to 21st century Britain. So I think that it's helpful for us to not only understand what Jesus did, but to understand the why behind what Jesus did. If, in order to understand the what, you've got to understand the why. So what I want to do, first of all, is I want to look at what Jesus said his mission was. We need to understand what was motivating him and driving him in order to put his actions into some sort of context. So Jesus, you know, when I read the Gospels, I see him expressing his mission in different ways. I and, and I want to highlight three of them for you this morning, and they're both distinct and kind of overlapping. But first of all, I would say that Jesus believed that his mission was to do the will of the Father. In John 6, 38, he said, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. So he wasn't here just for his own purpose and his own agenda. His purpose and agenda was to do his Father's will for his life. And then in the story that Joe just read for us in, in Luke 19, Jesus then said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. This was Jesus' purpose, to seek and save the lost. And then finally in, in Luke 4, Jesus steps up to the uh, pulpit if, of, of what they have in the synagogue, and he quotes from Isaiah, and he, he reads this as if it's his mission statement. He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus's mission was to do the will of his father, to seek and save the lost, and to set the oppressed free. That's how, that was his why. That's what was motivating him. That's what was driving everything that he did. Now, when you think about the, that being his mission, then you start to look at his actions, and it gives a context for why he was doing the things that he was doing. So, I see kind of two general categories that Jesus uh, did things. There was the spiritual disciplines that Jesus embraced and the missional activities that Jesus lived out. So Jesus, first of all, let's look at the spiritual disciplines. You know, did you know that Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines? We talked about this last week. Spiritual disciplines, you know, are, are, are not maybe the best word for that. It's like kind of saying, spiritual disciplines is like saying, hey, go on a diet for Jesus. You know, it's not very appealing. We don't get very excited about that idea. But Jesus practiced spiritual disciplines. Let's look at a list of some of the ones that I see in the Gospels. He practiced prayer and scripture reading and fasting and solitude and public worship. Uh, he practiced Sabbath keeping, giving, and living a life of simplicity. 
And if Jesus needed to practice these things, and we're his disciples, then I think we probably need to practice some of these things too. And actually, that's where we're going with the rest of the series. We're going to be talking about some of these spiritual disciplines, these habits, maybe, these spiritual habits that help form the nature of Jesus in us. So Jesus practiced these spiritual disciplines, but then there's all these missional activities that he took on. Let's look at a list of them here. He, he uh, preached and taught the kingdom of God. He demonstrated the power of the kingdom through healing and miracles and exorcisms. He prophesied. He trained disciples. He shared meals with those who are far from God. Um, he gave to the poor, and he confronted religious and political corruption. All of those things Jesus was doing as a way of fulfilling his mission. So if you think about all these activities that he did, and you think about what he said his mission statement is, I mean, how would you go and fulfill these mission statements to do the will of the Father, to seek and save the lost, and to set the oppressed free? Well, he started out by doing the will, you know, by doing all of these things, spiritual disciplines and missional activities. You think about doing the will of the Father. I think that's what a lot of those spiritual disciplines were about because in order for him to do the will of the Father, he had to maintain union and intimacy with his Father. There was a closeness there. He said, I don't do anything that I don't hear the fa- that see the Father doing, and I don't say anything that I don't hear the Father saying. So these spiritual disciplines such as prayer and silence and solitude and studying the Scriptures and, and, and getting away on retreat, like all of these things were... Uh, ways that he maintained his intimacy with the Father. And then if you think about seeking and saving the lost, well, obviously he went out and he preached and he taught the gospel and he did all kinds of things to to, uh, seek and save the lost. But I love the story that Joe read today. I love the story about him uh, going out and doing these missional meals. You know, he wasn't just, he wasn't just you know, uh, uh, just preaching and teaching and, and kind of staying aloof. He got involved. And, and, and you know, in the case of Zacchaeus, <laughs> you know, he's walking along the road and he sees this man up in the tree and he's like, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner tonight. I mean, what a, <laughs> who knew that having missional meals and just inviting yourself over for dinner would be a way of seeking and saving the lost, but that's what Jesus did. And then you think about it setting the oppressed free. I mean, one of the things that Jesus did, probably the most obvious thing, was he was delivering people of demons. I mean, now a lot of us, we don't like to think about demons. We think about the, you know, angels and demons, that's really passe. But, you know, if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, you have to recognize that angels and demons are part of Jesus's worldview. And he regularly encountered them, and he regularly set people free from them, people that were oppressed and possessed by demonic powers. And Jesus would step on the scene, and there was no contest. This wasn't like a, you know, a, a shouting match. Jesus would step on the scene, and these demons would flee. They, they wanted no part of Jesus. Jesus also set the oppressed free by you know, giving to the poor and, and looking for the people who are oppressed like women in society. He, he taught his preaching and teaching helped uh, undo the the oppressive religious system that held the Israelites captive at that time. Uh, he, he confronted religious and political corruption. He did all of these things to help fulfill his mission and his calling. So that's Jesus's mission. These are the ways that he lived them out. So if we're going to do what Jesus did, that's all you need to know. Just go and do likewise, right? Amen. Let's pray. 
If only they were that simple. If only it were that easy. See, I think if we're honest, we think doing what Jesus did is a, it's a, it's a nice idea. It's like world peace. Like, who doesn't want world peace? We all want world peace, right? But we don't really take it seriously because we don't really think it's possible. We don't think it's going to happen. You know, we think doing what Jesus did is kind of this utopian ideal. But deep down, you know, we, we, we don't really think it's going to happen. We don't think we can really actually do it. You know, I, I think we think of Jesus like a tightrope walker. You know, those guys that, that get on that, those like tiny little wires that go across Niagara Falls, and they go across Niagara Falls, and then they come back on stilts or something like that, and, and we're all amazed, and we're impressed, and we're applauding them, but we don't for one second think we could do what they're doing. I think a lot of us look at Jesus that way. We think, man, he's amazing, and I'm so impressed by that, but, but it seems kind of distant and aloof and, and not something that we can really do ourselves. And yet Jesus had the expectation that we would do the things that he did. Look at this in John 14, 12. Jesus said this, I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. There it is, do what Jesus did, and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. That's a blow away. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to empower you to do even more stuff than I did. And this has been being fulfilled ever since Pentecost Sunday. Jesus had this clear expectation that we, would, that we wouldn't just learn about him, that we wouldn't just kind of give him our allegiance and our belief, but that we would learn to do the things that he did. And so when Jesus commissioned his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations, his expectation was not that they would just do it, but that every generation that followed would go and make disciples of people that would carry on his mission until he returns. That was Jesus' expectation for us. But I don't know about you. I think about that, and I find that kind of overwhelming. Anybody find that kind of hard to just, you know, kind of wrap your mind around doing all of those things? Like, you know, I've got a busy life. We've got, we've got studies to do or jobs to do or kids to raise, and, and it can sound really overwhelming. So where do you start? How do you begin to do the things that Jesus did? Well, I think first we need to address some common misconceptions or mindsets or lies that we believe about doing the things that Jesus did that, that hinder us and block us from doing those things. And I know that these four things exist because I have dealt with all four of these things. So I just thought, well, what hinders me from doing the things that Jesus did? And, and this is the list I came up with. So first of all, I think we struggle to do as Jesus did because we haven't embraced the mission of Jesus for ourselves. You know, if Jesus is our rabbi, and if we're his apprentices, then the mission of Jesus becomes our mission. The mission of Jesus becomes our mission. And for some of us, that's really, and at least for me at least, it's really a disruptive idea because we've got all kinds of plans and dreams and agendas and things that we want to pursue in our own lives. And actually following Jesus means laying down those things and embracing his mission as our own. And that's not an easy thing to do. Remember, Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And he modeled that by, by washing his disciples' feet and then telling them to go and do likewise. So we're called to, to, you know, in following Jesus, 
there is going to be a place of surrender of your dreams, of your plans, of your agenda, of, of all your hopes, all those things. We, we, there's a place of surrendering it all. Remember, we talked about earlier in this series that following Jesus means denying yourself, taking up your cross and following him. And this is part of what that's all about. And to be honest, that just, just does not sound very appealing, you know? Like telling you to abandon your hopes and dreams and agendas, that sounds terrible unless you remember that Jesus wants to give you something better. Remember, Jesus promised, or his statement about us, his intentions towards us is to give us what? Life. Abundant life. Jesus came to give us uh, the, the, the word that is used there, the Greek word means like abundant, overflowing life. And here's the thing, part of that abundant life is following him into mission. That abundant life doesn't come by living our own way. The abundant life comes by doing things his way and embracing his mission and his calling in our lives. And one of the greatest joys of Christianity is partnering with him to seek and save the lost and to set the oppressed free. And how this gets expressed is different for every person. It's unique to every person. Embracing the mission of Jesus doesn't necessarily, it might mean that you are going to, uh, that you go to the mission field, but it also might mean that you go into government. Embracing the mission of Jesus in your life might mean that you uh, enter full-time church work, but it also might mean that you enter full-time business or you, you start a business. It might mean that you, um, it might mean that embracing the mission of Jesus might mean that you're choosing to be single, or it might mean that you choose to get married. Embracing the mission of Jesus might, might mean that you embrace or you go into the science field, or it might mean you go into the entertainment field, or it might mean that, that you become a teacher or an artist. I mean, we need the people of God living out the mission of Jesus in all of these different areas. So I, I don't want you to hear this and think, well, this means that, you know, I've got to move to uh, Asia and become a missionary, or I've got to become a church worker. Do you know only about 2% of all Christians become full-time uh, professional, uh, enter into full-time professional ministry? Only about 2%. The rest of you are scattered into various professions, various locations, and that's on purpose. You're not missing God's calling for your life. You're not less committed to Jesus because you're not in full-time ministry. God has put you where he's put you because it's in that place that you carry out the mission of Jesus. I mean, don't we need people carrying out the mission of Jesus in our government? Don't we need people who carry out the mission of Jesus in the entertainment industry or in the arts industry? Like, those are the things that are shaping our culture and shaping our society. And Christians, we think, oh, I don't want any part of that. No, we need to be running to those places. So embracing the mission of Jesus starts with recognizing that, hey, Jesus' mission is my mission. Your mission is to do the will of the Father. Your mission is to seek and save the lost. Your mission is to set the oppressed free. Secondly, hindrances to doing the things that, that Jesus did. I, I think we rush the process sometimes. I think we rush the process. What do I mean by that? Well, let's go back to that list of the core values of being a disciple of Jesus. 
be with Jesus, become like Jesus, do what Jesus did. See, this isn't necessarily a formula, but this is a, there's a progression to these things. And this is what I've been saying in the series that I think is really important and I don't want you to miss. I think a lot of Christians get really disappointed, they get burnt out, they get frustrated when they try to do point two and point three without doing point one. We, we, we try to skip ahead and we try to become like Jesus in our own strength. We're going to just become a better person. I'm going to be nicer today. I'm going to be more peaceful today. I'm going to be more patient today. And it doesn't work. Or we think, I'm going to do what Jesus did and I'm going to bring justice and I'm going to heal the sick. And we try to go out and we do these things in our own strength and it doesn't work. And eventually we think, well, I guess this just, there's, you know, I, I, I'm not called to this or this just doesn't work. And we just get... We, we lose heart as a result. But remember what Jesus said in John 15. He said, if you will remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. Right. And that means that if we are separated from Jesus, then if we're not really walking with him, talking with him, living life with him, then we can't really become like Jesus. We can't really do the things that Jesus did. And that's why it's so important for us to learn to live our lives in union with God, to live our days walking with Him and talking with Him in a conversational intimacy that never stops. It's not just about five minutes of prayer in the morning, although that's good and we should do that, but it's about living our days with Jesus. And out of that, we begin to, He just begins to rub off on us. We begin to become like Him. We begin to do the things that we did as the natural overflow of our lives. And I think what we have to recognize is that God will be emphasizing different ones of these at different times in our lives. And I think, you know, sometimes we have to go back, maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, and God is taking you back to just being with Jesus. I mean, God's been, for the last three or four months, doing that with me. Hey, I just need you to learn how to be still and be with me. For some of you, you know, you might be brand new Christians, and you're just learning how to hear God's voice. You're just learning what it means to, to be a follower of Jesus. You're just learning how much he loves you, and that's a great place to be in. For some of you, you may be uh, being transformed. You may be in a process of God setting you free from the things that, are, that have got you, uh, uh, that are hindering you, that are entangling you, and God is just working on those areas in your life. And for some of you, you're just starting to step into the mission of Jesus. You know, so we have to recognize that God is, is doing different things in our lives at different times, and we've got to know what stage we're in as disciples and followers of Jesus. And for some of you, you know, you might want to rush into doing what Jesus did. You're like, all right, I hear this. Let's do it. Let's go out there and take the hill. But actually, God wants you to slow down, and God wants you to do a deep, wants to do a deep work of healing and restoration in you. He wants to set you free so that, so that you don't end up burning out and disappointed and discouraged. And for some of you, you might need like a loving but swift kick out the door to <laughs> embrace the things that God is doing in the world and, you know, quit making excuses, quit spending so much time watching, binging on Netflix or, or gaming or social media, and you need to get out the door and start engaging in what God is doing in the earth. But we got to know what season we're in. One thing that I, I you know, just so we don't want to rush this process. And one other thing I want to mention here is you got to know your stage of life as well. So there are stages in life when, when doing what Jesus did is a lot more doable than others. 
So for example, if you're a parent with young children, uh, there's limitations on the kinds of ministry that you can do. And in and, and, and the stage of life, it's okay. We need to embrace that stage. You know, Jesus for 30 years lived in obscurity as a master builder. And really there was, you know, he, nobody really in, in northern Israel, in Galilee, Jesus just lived in obscurity. And then all of a sudden, the time of ministry, the stage of his life when he became a public figure arrived, and he stepped onto the scene, and suddenly he's in Jerusalem with all the crowds and the masses, and he's confronting power, and he's doing all these things, but, but that, all, that was a three-year season of his life. The first 30 years were laying a foundation for what was to come. So we've got to know the stage that we're in, and if you're a parent with young children, or if you're maybe caring for an aging parent or, or, or spouse, or you know, there's, there's all different seasons that we're in, and what I want to say is embrace this season. There's something with intim- for intimacy with God that God wants you to learn in the mundane and in the ordinary and in the hiddenness. Thirdly, I think we hinder, we're hindered by doing what Jesus did because we misunderstand the Incarnation. We misunderstand the incarnation. We think of Jesus as like this avatar, that he's just God with a body, you know, that, that he, 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 you know, if, if he's God, then of course he can walk on water. Of course he can heal the sick. Of course he can turn water into wine. Like, yeah, of course, he's God. And I'm not God, so why would I expect to do the same things that Jesus did? But that's a misunderstanding of the incarnation. That's a misunderstanding of what it's all about, of what Jesus becoming flesh was all about. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, verse 7. He says, instead, he, Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Now, when Paul said he's born as a human being, he didn't just, he's not just kind of like wink, wink, nudge, nudge. He's saying Jesus was born as a human being. And when he says there that he gave up his divine privileges, the the Greek word there means emptied out. He set aside his divine power, his divine authority, his glory, and his majesty. And yes, Jesus is God. He retains his identity as that. But yet he sets all that aside and he enters humanity as a human being. How that works? Well, that's the mystery of the incarnation. That's what we sing about at Christmas. That's, That's not our topic for today. But Jesus did what he did as a human being. He had all the same limitations that we do. And yet every miracle he performed was done as a man. Why? Because Jesus wanted to model for us. He wanted to be an example for us of how life is meant to be lived in union with God and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was, he was showing us, he wasn't an exception, he was an example for us to follow. And he had that same expectation that he's saying, like, look, if you want to be my disciple, if you live in union with God, if you're empowered by the Holy Spirit, then as we saw in John 14, 12 earlier, he said, you're going to do the same stuff that I do and even greater works. So Jesus's expectation was that we would be able to do the same things he did, even the miraculous And that's what we see in the book of Acts and every generation of Christians 
that has followed. And that may not be your experience. Some of you in here, I know you've seen miracles because I've had conversations with you. Others of you, you're like, I don't know that I've ever seen a miracle in my life, but I promise you, God is still active on the earth. Miracles do still happen. People do still get healed. God does intervene in the normal happenings of nature. And so what I want to say is don't dismiss the possibility of of the, uh, the miraculous in your life. Don't just say, ah, that's for Jesus. That's for somebody else. And, you know, maybe you won't see tons of miracles. Maybe, you know, there's some people that I think God gifts with extraordinary faith, and they do see miracles. But listen, all of us can pray for those things. All of us can press into those things. This is not something that that we just dismiss because, well, that was something Jesus did, or that's something for that one person way over there. No, this is something for all of us to embrace. Finally, I think we're hindered from doing what Jesus did because we get discouraged by past failures. (laughs) We think, you know, a lot of us have tried to do the stuff that Jesus did, and for whatever reason, it didn't work. It was a mess. It was a failure. It It was embarrassing. It was painful. It was disappointing. I've certainly had that experience. I was thinking this week about I was out on the streets uh, several years ago here in Sheffield down on the high street and uh, praying for people. And we saw this guy with a, a cast on his leg. He'd broken his foot. I asked if I could pray for him. He was an atheist, but he let me pray for him. And as far as I know, he wasn't healed. And I have to say, that was really disappointing to me because I was like, God, here's your chance. You know, come on. And it didn't happen as far as I know. Now, who knows? Maybe he walked away and actually was totally healed and I'll find out about it in heaven one day. But as far as I know, it didn't happen. And it was disappointing. And I could easily just say, well, I guess God doesn't heal today, or God doesn't want to use me to bring healing. But it helps me to remember that even Jesus' disciples, like the 12, the guys that wrote the Bible, and some of them, they failed on numerous occasions. I mean, think about Peter, right? I mean, he gets out, and he starts walking on the water, which I think that's pretty incredible, but he doesn't get very far before he falls through, right? Before he takes his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink like a rock and Jesus has to rescue him. <laughs> he, 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 he failed. And then later on when, when the pressure's on and Jesus is, is being persecuted, he abandons and denies Jesus. Or, or think about when Jesus was up on the Mount of Transfiguration and uh, his disciples were probably camped somewhere around the base of the mountain and this father comes bringing his de- demonically pos- uh, uh, oppressed son who's, you know, really having a hard time and he brings it to his disciples. You know, here's Jesus is in town. He comes looking for Jesus, finds his disciples and said, hey, can you cast this demon out? The disciples try to cast the demon out like they've seen Jesus do and it doesn't work. And finally, Jesus comes back and he's like, guys, come on, I've told you what to do. See, the disciples failed a lot. And I think we're, we're told about some of them. I think there was a lot more failures than that. But they kept learning, and they kept growing, and eventually they learned how to do the things that Jesus did. I, uh, I think about, it reminds me of Thomas Edison. You know, Thomas Edison inventing the light bulb took, uh, I think he needed 6,000 attempts at different filaments that go in the bulb before he found one that worked. And somebody was asking him about all his failed attempts at creating the light bulb. And they're like, hey, was that discouraging to you? Did you feel like a failure all that time? And Edison said, look, I, I, have, I've not, I just would think, I've not failed. I've just found 10,000 ways that won't work. <laughs> right? So when we fail, when we step out, when we try to do what Jesus did, and it doesn't go the way we hoped, let's not just despair at that moment. Let's just See it as a learning opportunity. (laughs) Hey, we just figured out 
something that won't work, and I can do it differently next time. So those are four reasons that I think we struggle in doing what Jesus did. Those are the things that hinder us and keep us from really carrying out the mission of Jesus in our life. So as I close today, though, I want to give you one practical that you can, you can take to begin to apply the mission of Jesus to your own life. And I just want to ask you this question. Where does my life intersect with the lost? I want you to ask yourself that question. Where does your life intersect with those who don't yet know Jesus? You see, we're surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. As far as I can tell by the uh, statistics that we have during our um, uh, census, there's about 3% of Sheffield that are Christians, that say they're Christians, that go to church. And I don't know how many of those would even really understand what it's all about, about being born again and surrendering your life to Jesus and being his disciple. So so let's say 3%, though, as a generous total. That means 97% of the people that we're surrounded by don't know him. They, 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 they don't know about Jesus. They may have heard about him in school. They may think they know about Jesus, but so many of them don't know. And we are positioned to be able to, as Christ's ambassadors, to be able to represent Jesus to those people. You see, you can reach people that I will never meet, people that I will never reach. I can reach people that you will never reach. Together, as the body of Christ, we can reach far more people than we realize, but it takes all of us embracing the mission of Jesus for ourselves and and being his, just recognizing like, hey, I'm Christ's ambassador as I go out the door today. And I get to love and care for and share the truth with anybody that God brings across my path. And that's, you know, I just want to say love is the heart of all good evangelism. We, we love people, and therefore, that, in, in loving people, that gets us to the place where we can then tell them about Jesus. When people know that they're loved, they're open to the message. When they know you love them and care about them, they're going to listen to what you have to say. See, when I think Jesus, when he says, you know, love your neighbors, that wasn't just some sort of um, abstract thing. I think what Jesus meant when he said love your neighbor is to love your neighbors, the people that are in physical proximity to you. So those could be your colleagues at work, your flatmates, your course mates, your physical neighbors, you know, the people that live in the house next door. We don't really, you know, in England, we kind of like have a moat around our house and we don't really talk to people around us very often. But what if we embrace Jesus's strategy of doing missional meals, you know? If you didn't, don't know where to start, that might be a really easy place of just inviting people over and eating with them, invite, you know, having a meal with them, or invite yourself over to their place like Jesus did. <laughs> I've not tried that, but, you know, some of you may be really far ahead. Some of you students, you know, you're an expert at getting a free meal here and there, so you're ahead of us in that discipline. Maybe you can model it for us, but Missional meals are a really easy way. You can just sit down, have a cup of tea with them, have a, have, you know, go out to eat with somebody that, that doesn't know Jesus and just simply love them, get to know them. It doesn't have to always like lead with the gospel or something. Just love them, pray for them, ask, God's heart, ask God for his heart for them. Ask him to help you see them the way he does. Because when we love people well and when we love Jesus well, then evangelism just becomes the normal thing that we do. It happens much more naturally. And the last thing I want to say about this is just be aware that God, when you begin to surrender your life to the mission of Jesus, expect to be disrupted. Expect interruptions. 
most of Jesus's miracles occurred in those moments when he was on his way to do something else. You know, he's on his way to go raise uh, uh, Jairus's daughter, and the woman with the issue of blood touches the hem of his robe. See, Jesus was extraordinary at spotting those opportunities and recognizing where God was at work, even if he was rushing somewhere else. He never let busyness stop him from doing what God called him to do. Zacchaeus is another example. He's on his way somewhere else and spots Zacchaeus in a tree, and then he's like, you know what? I'm going to come to your house to dinner tonight. You know, he's, he allowed God to disrupt him. And I think a lot of the best opportunities we have to seek and save the lost will happen on our way to doing something else. So let's just be open to that possibility. So there's so much more we could say about this. I need to wrap this up. But, you know, doing what Jesus did, I need to say, is not just about evangelism. It's not just about mission. It's about a way of life. Doing what Jesus did affects everything we do from the way we treat our spouse to the way we respond to the person who cuts us off in traffic to how we work to how we deal with our, our demanding boss to uh, how, we, uh, how we deal with our annoying flatmate. All of our life gets affected by, uh, by this. It, it, doing what Jesus does affects every aspect of life. And most of the New Testament is written to help us understand what, what doing what Jesus does looks like in everyday life. And if you want extra credit this week, I'd encourage you to just go read Romans chapter 12. I think that is the single best concise summary of what it looks like to do what Jesus did in your everyday life. It's amazing. I thought about just reading the whole thing to you now, but it's a long passage. So I'll just say, go and read Romans 12. That'll be a great way of just getting a holistic view of what it means to do what Jesus did. So, Doing what Jesus did is not some distant, utopian ideal. Jesus had a clear expectation that we would do what he did, and he gave us the Holy Spirit to empower us to do it. And one of the greatest joys in Christianity is being the hands and feet of Jesus to seek and save the lost and to set the oppressed free. Let me pray for you. Jesus, Thank you that you have come to seek and save the lost because one of the lost that you came for was me. Help me to remember that the abundant life you promise doesn't come through living life our own way, but from living life your way. Help us, Lord, to reorient our lives around your mission to seek and save the lost and to set captives free. And I pray for every person watching right now, Lord, that, that you would uh, meet them in their place of disappointment where failure has happened. Lord, that you would show them that, 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 you, uh, that you would help them to embrace this mission for yourself. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to see the way our life intersects with the lost. And God, would you give us eyes to see the ways that you want to use our gifts, our talents, our skills, our abilities, our experience to accomplish your mission in the earth. Jesus, we love you and we honor you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening today. To listen to more messages like this one, head to our website at antiochsheffield.org.uk forward slash podcast. We are looking forward to seeing you soon.